Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the UW Film Club podcast, where each week we invite a member onto of our club onto the show to talk about a movie of their choice, whether that be good, bad, topically relevant, or anything in between. It's all on the table. I'm your temp host, Cynthia Lee. And again, we don't really have any special guests, but we have someone new this week, but she has been on the pod several times before, so I, I wouldn't say new. But because she hasn't seen any of the movies produced by this particular company, I'm trying to be vague, it's not really working, but okay. But yeah, I have Joel Garcia and Stephanie Tron and Piper Coiner joining me today. How are you guys doing? That was really incoherent. It's okay, we're just going to roll with it. It works. <laughs> it works. It's hot today. Yeah. yeah. So hot. I think it's like the first like 80s of the year. I'm baking in my apartment. Yeah, I'm getting cooked. I ran my errands on the AV this morning and like my forearms are sunburned. It's really embarrassing. Oh gosh. <laughs> I'm like getting a prescription refilled. It's- oh no. Yeah, like it says like the UV index on my like weather app. I'm just like, yeah, but it says it's like dangerous. <laughs> like- <laughs> oh my God, Joel, remember on Saturday when they were like, please don't jump into the rivers. Because- yeah, so like it hasn't it's reset, so you know. <laughs> yeah the weather report was like it's 80 degrees but please don't jump into the water because it's going to be like 50 degrees and you will get hyperthermia <laughs> <laughs> that was a national weather service announcement but yes it is hot it's i yeah, it's was talking off pod but i normally have my window closed during recordings because i'm embarrassed for other people to hear me outside my apartment but can't even do that today and now there's like a bunch of birds near my apartment a lot and sometimes they there's just like, like a plane the window right now too oh fuck if there you hear a plane i'm so sorry but like these well, the birds, birds work you know they sometimes like hit the window and i feel like they're what? like that's kind it of feels like, like they're hitting ominous. the window <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they are because like usually when I do hear it, it's early in the morning and my mental capacity is very low at like 730 in the morning. So yeah, same. Yeah. (laughs) I think that the bird noises, you know, they they work for the movie we're going to talk about, you know. Yeah. Wow. Great yeah. transition. Yeah. Was that yeah. a transition? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. <laughs> I was going to say, like, we got a hot movie we're going to talk about today. So I think the birds a hot is better. <laughs> <laughs> we have a film that is focused on the environment, and yeah. we were just talking about the environment. That was bad transition. We well. love the environment here at the <laughs> Film Club. You know? Yeah. You know, birds, they're in the environment. And you know what's about the environment? This movie. (laughs) That's better, right? Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, the movie we're talking about today, it's not a Wes Anderson movie. We're we're over him now, I guess. Um, We have moved on. We're going to attempt a Miyazaki trilogy. And so today we're going to start off this trilogy with Princess Mononoke. Uh, premiered in 1997, directed by the one, the only Hayao Miyazaki for the production company Studio Ghibli. We had picked this because initially former co-host, former guest Natalia Owen, who picked the Wes Anderson films, was like, I've never seen a Studio Ghibli film in my life. And we were, the rest of us were very shocked. 
And we were like, wow, well, we got to, we got to, we got to force you to watch a stupid Ghibli <laughs> film now because this podcast is all about forcing people to do things. Yeah. So yes, exactly. But unfortunately she had to cancel last minute due to some emergencies, but it's okay because we still have a motivation because our guest, our new guest, Piper Coiner has never seen a Studio Ghibli film ever. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Studio Ghibli, I've always had the assumption that people were like Pixar or Studio Ghibli, but I might have like a totally wrong perception on that. Oh, like between? Yeah. Like it's always, they always seem to pit those two in a way. Really? I don't know. Maybe I'm just like missing out on the discourse. Maybe I'm missing out. And if that is, maybe I'm I'm happy, you know, better off for it. Because like, can't we, can't things be universally loved, you know? Mm-hmm. Not everything has to be a competition, you know? But everything does have to be a competition. That is well. true. Yeah. And, and if if it is, then Ghibli like, would totally win. <laughs> I don't have an opinion on that. But <laughs> <laughs> they're good at different things. That's all I will say about that. But yeah. Piper, so Piper has never seen a Studio Ghibli film. So this is your first time watching it or the pod. Yeah, I just never had access to them as a kid and I feel like I hadn't heard of them until I was like 16 to be totally honest. I mean access I think is one of like the main reasons why someone would probably not have seen them. I think the only way to access them for a long time was like a blu-ray DVD and probably Mm -hmm. at your like local library or something Mm -hmm. and so if you didn't know about them like the minimal access could probably just emphasize helped emphasize that make that more difficult in general because i like when they came out on hbo max like it was such a big deal yeah so totally totally makes sense i think a lot of people are starting now to get into it too because of hbo max even though warner brothers sucks at the streaming thing or like has a horrible opinion on theatrical and streaming one good thing is all the Ghiblis have become accessible, although they've been out on Netflix UK for like the longest time. Oh yeah. But you know, VPN, you got a VPN that shit and you know, VPN's got everybody. Yeah. Yeah, not everyone is VPN. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, that totally makes sense. Were you just like, because I know for me personally, the way I was introduced to Ghibli was just like a lot of older kids or even like teachers and my parents just being like, Studio Ghibli is awesome. You should go watch it. I think people have always been like, it's kind of elevated and animated film in a way, you know? So I was curious, just like, was like there no word of mouth? Because I feel like Ghibli is a word of mouth, at least for me growing up, was a word of mouth thing. Yeah, well, there's that big like Japanese bookstore in the International District. I forget the name, but I went there when I was like 16 or 17 and they had just like this huge Totoro. And I was like, oh, I think I've seen that thing before. But like, I finally put it together afterwards. And I think that was like my first uh, interaction with Ghibli. And then I tried to watch Spirited Away a few years ago, but then I got suckered into the Wikipedia page and all the like Japanese mythology and then it stressed me out because I was like, I need to know everything. So I never finished watching that. But I, I honestly like never heard anything about Ghibli. I guess I just was in like this white non-filmic group and yeah. I mean, again, we've already talked about it. Access is probably a big, huge thing to that. How about you, Stephanie or Joel? How did you guys get first introduced to Studio Ghibli? When I, I just sneezed. (laughs) Cut it out, it's okay. Nasally now. (laughs) Uh, When I was a child, uh, I think I (laughs) went to their 
I was, I think I had been familiar with Totoro and Ponyo. Those were the two movies I had seen as a child. And so that was what I had associated with Ghibli. And it was like, and I think my mom had introduced me to Ghibli. She studied Japanese in college, so I'm pretty sure it was probably her. And so I remember watching those movies when I was little. And then I had always been aware that Ghibli was like a big deal and the movies were good. And But I'd only ever seen Totoro and Ponyo. And then the movies came out on HBO Max last year and... A year ago, I went on like a binge and I watched like six of them in one week. The big, the big ones. And so, yes, that's, that's how I am familiar with it. Ooh, Totoro. I feel like that plushie has really mm-hmm. just given them a good mileage in terms of exposure. Oh, yeah. Totoro, yeah, honestly, very easy to monetize Totoro. I mean, I kind of want one TVH. It looks like I, every time I've seen them, I'm like, Jesus Christ, that thing is so cute. <laughs> yeah, that's quirky. <laughs> I think I, I watched Spirited Away when I was like really small. because like my brother watched it a lot. And then I also like lived in Hawaii, Guam when I was a little kid. So like closer to like mixing with Japanese culture, I guess. <laughs> so it's... I was probably like three or something like that. And then I also saw Mononoke when I was a little kid. So it's definitely like a nostalgia factor too with some of these movies. But I don't know. I guess I've never really paid attention to like how exposed I was to it in high school too. But I do remember like there being like some kids who would like like Chihiro's name and like their like Twitter users or whatever because they were like, oh, I'm different, you know. But yeah. So it's just, I guess I've known about it for like ever. But that's more just like, yeah, for my brother. So I feel like Ghibli is like the most well known of Japanese animated films. So to mark yourself as different because you watch Ghibli yeah. is know. a choice. You gotta go <laughs> on to something when you're a high schooler, you know. <laughs> that's true. You gotta just gatekeep thinking you're like exactly. pretentious you know? as fuck, but you're actually not. Yeah. <laughs> I relate to that angst a lot. It was bad, bad me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think for me, I was introduced to Ghibli in like seventh grade. We had this science teacher who was just like, let's watch Spirited Away for a day. And I was like, okay, cool. I was freaked out by it. I'll go into more detail on that when we do a pod on that. But yeah, I was freaked out, but it was like super magical watching it. And I was like, wow, I'm hooked. And so it's always been in my mind, Ghibli, ever since then. They're beautiful films and they're just incredible. And so, yeah, same with you, Joel. I have like extreme nostalgia for these films. But I think they're interesting to watch now as we're older because Miyazaki is quite pessimistic in all his films. But you can't tell me that when I was in seventh grade, I couldn't comprehend that. I was just like, wow, beautiful story about coming of age yay and beautiful creatures and fun mythology but I think well I mean as we talk about the film later I think there's like this inherent pessimism (laughs) that Miyazaki has throughout his film and I think in this film there's like a slight optimism at the end but for the most part it's quite human suck in a way (laughs) that I just never gathered when I watched it the first time of Mononoke or any of the Ghibli films when I watched it when I was like 12. Think that was how old I was when I was in seventh grade. Who knows? But yeah, as we mentioned already, we are doing Miyazaki trilogy. We're doing Mononoke today. And so before we get started on what we thought about Mononoke um, in this 
rewatch, or in Piper's case, the first watch, um, a bit pot of plot description before we get started on quote-unquote analysis, however much you think we are analyzing it or not. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, the film is centered around this prince named Ashitaka. 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 Yeah, he is a prince of this kind of fading civilization or village in eastern Japan and his village is attacked by like this cursed boar and while he's fighting the boar weird squishy thing that is cursing the boar a demon tentacles the demon tentacles yeah sure um my windows open my neighbors I can probably (laughs) hear you (laughs) um but yeah the demon tentacles on the boar grab Ashitaka's arm and curse his arm. And so the oracle in his town says that his destiny because of that curse is to die. And and the only way to kind of figure out what to do with that destiny is to go west and attend to the deer god um, and hopefully have the deer god lift the curse in a way. And so he travels to the western part of Japan. Does it have a specific name that region or just it's the west mm, getting one stairs so i don't think it has a name okay not a movie, so at least. yeah he goes to the western part of japan and there there's like a lot of politics going on in that area um everyone's fighting everyone for land resources power etc 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 so there's like samurai fighting samurai other samurai people burning down villages etc he's kind of not minding his own business going through and then until he finds the injured warriors of oh my god i am blinking on the village lady aboshi aboshi but what is the village called the ironworks ironworks yeah it's not iron town ironworks he finds two fallen warriors of the ironworks who in a previous scene were seen battling princess mononoke and her wolves and so he rescues them and brings them back to the ironworks where he meets lady aboshi who is kind of she's such an interesting character and i hope you get to talk about her a little bit but um he meets lady aboshi and like us me he doesn't know what to make of her either other than she's kind of this colonialist in a way but complicated (laughs) she has saved a bunch of female slaves who are now in her village creating iron and the main the whole main conflict of her village is that her village destroys the trees and the nature that is surrounding the village to make iron which has made the nature around them very angry and want to destroy the iron so the main conflict then becomes the the nature that is surrounding them which is because it's an animated film you know many different things that are not realistic like talking wolves and talking boars <laughs> and what are the, that what are the the little the kodama yeah. the what kodama kodama yeah the kodama they all want to revolt against the ironworks and so there's this giant war between them at the end and then they one of the samurai that is not part of lady Iboshi wants to destroy the deer god and hopes to like completely colonize the area the nature around them so that they don't have any more of the samurai and the people don't have obstacles in taking over that land and utilizing their resources utilizing seems positive it's um, like extracting their resources he they end up being able to chop off the head of the deer god and then the deer god turns into this thing called the night walker and then starts just hunting everyone 
until the end. And then Princess Mononoke and Ashitaka, real, they understand, well, for less so Princess Mononoke. Well, Ashitaka understands that there's some, there might be a way for nature and humans to get along. And so they return the dear head, dear God, evaporates, disappears, heals the land, and everyone goes back to where they came from. And Lady Iboshi um, and Ashitaka try to create a new ironworks where nature and humans can get along. Does that work? Wondrous, yeah. <laughs> that is, yes. Um, as you can tell, this film was very long. It's two hours and 13, 13 minutes. minutes. So hot description, I feel, is apt for this. A lot of shit goes on. A lot, yeah, Shit's a happened. lot of stuff goes on in this movie. Yeah. And we can start with that because I feel like what I love about Miyazaki films is that they're like extremely intimate in a way. And this film works, but I, for me personally, on a personal level, the epicness of the film makes it seem less intimate. And it's not necessarily a detractor of it, but I feel like it is so large. But yeah, for me personally, that largeness and scale, and I think just any film that's like extremely large in size, I have trouble sometimes with. And it's not necessarily I had trouble with this one, but it definitely was harder to grasp on on emotional level, even though I did end up crying at the end. But still, <laughs> yeah, that's just for me. It's quite, I don't know if it's the longest Ghibli film. It has to be, but yeah. I know a couple of the others are over two hours, but I don't know by how much. Mm. It's, it's close. You might be right okay yeah castle in the sky is two hours six but i mean this film feels large and i i think that's definitely the point but for me that largeness can sometimes feel just extremely overwhelming so yeah how about you guys sorry joel i know this is your favorite ghibli it's not a mark against it oh, i'm just i mean i'm not that's how to get I feel offended about it you know it's fine everybody has different tastes i don't know i like how grand it is though mm-hmm. like I mean, because, like, it is taking on, like, very sort of giant, like, themes of, like, humanity, like, not only, like, struggling to coexist as it industrializes, but also, like, sort of, like, attempting to, like, kill God Mm -hmm. while doing so. So I think, I mean, obviously, that can be tackled at a more intimate level, but I think it's, I think it finds a lot of success in doing so, but also, like, like maintaining an, an attachment and a connection with these characters and also like the way they interact with like the world around them I think also sort of functions well because even though it is like really grand I don't know I still have like a connection with how like the confliction especially like how Ashitaka has how he's like yo like I like you all like this is like like Warren okay cool I think I'm falling in love weird ish because like i don't know if i personally would like see a girl like suck blood out of a wolf a giant wolf like you know what yeah that's the one but i mean like you know different different strokes so wait side tangent on that though i feel so bad for that one girl who was like please remember me when you go on your journey i will give you this very nice necklace and then he's like okay and yeah then never goes back yeah he's just i'm gonna stay here yeah I know when I was watching it again this time because it had been a bit I was like 
does anything happen with her? <laughs> Nothing does. <laughs> they like spend a little bit of like in the beginning, they like point her out as like the heroic girl. And so I was like, oh, is there like I don't I didn't remember this as when I first watched it, but like now when they were first setting everything up, they like she's the one who when the other girl gets injured stops and like tries to attempt to attack the boar. So I was like, oh, so they actually they they like pointed her out. And then she just got yeeted. Yeah. Like he even gives it to Mononoke. Like the, <laughs> <laughs> the little like charm. Man, so, Jesus. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like despite all his, you know, great things. So deeply flawed. But yeah. <laughs> that was a side remark. Not, no, that doesn't make the film bad. I was just <laughs> I was just amused when he like gave it to her. And I was like, but what about that other girl? All right. <laughs> Oh man, toxic. You know? Yeah, take she, it away. Yeah, you're Jeez. right, Joelle. Yeah. <laughs> well, how about you, Stephanie or Piper? What did you think about kind of the epic nature? I mean, I would consider to call this an epic, but yeah. Mm-hmm. This was my second time watching it, and I think I liked it better this time. And it initially I think it is a lot to process, and this movie is long. And so, but this time going in, I definitely I noticed a lot more of the thematic elements. Like first time I was just like Ooh, talking animals and pretty, pretty flowers and cool lady with gun. Uh, that was like sort of what my reaction was. And I think sometimes it's okay to enjoy movies with one brain cell. But this time I paid more attention to like the thematic elements and I really liked it. Like I love, I love the whole like the Ashitaka is like trying to bridge these two peoples and he's like trying not to be on either side and moderate I don't yeah know he's trying to moderate <laughs> yeah and then like they're both fighting for like noble purposes both sides and it's just like they're causing so much destruction but they both think they're right and he's like can't you guys live together in peace and I was like yeah that's important what am I what am I saying I it's it's a lot to swallow I will admit that that's probably the only drawback I would say of this film is that it's a lot but I it's good how about you Piper yeah I really like the the narrative arc and the scale I I definitely was overwhelmed by the end and I don't think I like grasped everything I'll probably appreciate it more on rewatch when I like already know what's gonna happen so I kind of relax more I, I I'm never good with like action sequences and battles and stuff like that so I was like kind of bored and confused at the very end because it's like 40 minutes or an hour of like a battle but I I don't know with animated movies I always wonder like how much a child is able to take away from it It, it, even like if adults are you know like Mm -hmm. having to analyze it and think about the themes like what is a child's experience watching it well I think (laughs) it's my first experience just ooh, pretty flowers cool lady with gun I think it's always like the same thing that when you talk about like I think Ghibli films are like more in my opinion they're a little more elevated than Pixar but I think it's the same conversation some in 10 years some teenagers gonna look back on Soul and be all like wow this this funny movie from my childhood is actually super deep and it's like the same concept with Ghibli movies yeah yeah exactly I um I was just gonna say that when I was a kid like Stephanie and I watched this I was like wow cool wolf many cool wolves very tall lady (laughs) fun action sequence and interesting mythology in terms of talking animals the kodanada is that a fucking god why am i kodanada repeat oh kodama ko yeah 
Kodama. So yeah, I think it was more for me like this just giant spectacle more than like me comprehending the themes and stuff. But I think as like a child, I think it's okay to come away with the film thinking that way. But I think what makes Ghibli films and I guess Pixar um, films just incredible is that they have these really complex themes to this. And I think Mononoke like has some really complex themes going on. And so that's what probably makes it much more enjoyable. And they don't turn simply into a nostalgia fest. It's, uh, wow, I can't believe I didn't notice that when I was 12. Actually, it's fine. I didn't notice that when I was 12. But it's super interesting to think that like, oh, this giant spectacle and fun movie that I like loved as a kid is now this also really fun time but also something that makes me think deeply but yeah I think that's an interesting point to bring up and I mean we'll never know <laughs> we can't go back in time so we don't yeah. know you know <laughs> I think as a kid I was like yeah relatively yeah you know the visceral emotions like yeah this is cool fucking swords <laughs> you know so whenever they like shoot an arrow and then it just slices an entire <laughs> Yeah. Okay, wait, no, that that was because of his arm, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. When it was still so funny. Though. Yeah. I was like, oh, he just Natalia... decapitated someone with an arrow. Yeah. As Natalia put in our podcast group chat, oddly gory. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, totally agree. Yeah. I mean, Mononoke sucking blood out of a wolf already is just like top. This movie, yeah. like, this movie makes me like wish I could speak to animals. Like, Disney princess style like I want to sing and speak to animals like that really brought out that urge in me so then you can command a boar army and destroy humanity mm-hmm. mm. but yeah we kind of already talked about how the film has really complex themes I think for me the thing that stood out the most was its commentary on kind of environmentalism in general which I guess I never really thought about that in any film. Um, But I don't think that many films in general, I think it's only been kind of a recent thing where the environment is a central theme. Like you have First Reformed. It's another film focused on the environment. I can't think of any on the top of my head right now. Uh, First Reformed, yeah, big one. Well, First Reformed (laughs) is a huge environmental movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Spirit Away sort of has those themes, but it's more like an industrialization standpoint and like technology. So Mm -hmm. rather than like the the nature side, yeah, yeah, there's no trace ish. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's also like very recent, a recent, not early recent film. I mean, there's definitely like we definitely have seen, but you know, blanking in the moment. Yeah, but I I feel like. That's such an interesting topic to put, not only in a child's film, but just in a film in general, just because it's so, everyone refuses to <laughs> kind of acknowledge a lot of our environmental issues in our world. And I think, I mean, not to pretend like I'm some like expert on like Japanese culture or anything, so not to like overstep, but like, I remember like the musket also in this movie is like it's sort of like a fairly big plot point in that like yeah. Lady Eboshi's like army has like access to that sort of thing so like I think in terms of like Japanese culture too like that transition to like industrialization was sort of like an encouragement on like the samurai mm-hmm. and that pre-existing like sort of system as it mm-hmm. was and this takes place I'm not 
sure when in Japanese history this takes place. It is taking place in a time where I think the samurai were falling. Yeah. The samurai class. I think they mentioned it a little bit in the beginning about how this shogun is like falling and everyone's just now fighting one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's something like that's more spiritual and like tied in. Or like also like the Kodama is like an actual like part of like Japanese folklore. So like whereas like here like in the US it's like yeah like you like nature but like there's nothing like that's like directly like tied in like a lot of like common American religion to like the actual like spirituality of nature whereas like in Japan like there actually is like stuff that warrants its protection I guess you could mm-hmm. argue so yeah it's as far as my knowledge extends but I mean it's more than mine so <laughs> <laughs> but I think like just in general kind of that relationship between the ironworks, the kind of feudal system, um, and the environment, I find this interesting push and pull between them. I think Miyazaki like hates humans. Um, in this, definitely seems like it's just really. I think it's interesting that the film kind of ends on this notion that humans and the environment can somehow cohabitate in a way that's healthy. I think that's like the optimistic, like. There is that kind of optimistic ending to it, but it's so interesting because this whole film is kind of just really pessimistic about humans, maybe except Lady Iboshi. But even then, like, it's still like where humans would be existing in sort of like a diminished manner because like the ironworks is like completely like sort of destroyed and they have to like rebuild while keeping in mind their coexistence with like Moro and Makoto and whatnot so even then like it is still sort of like humans like you could do a lot better <laughs> yes absolutely it's yeah. definitely telling us that we can do a lot better yeah. and I think I don't know it's just so that environmentalist theme is just so prevalent that I found it like kind of shocking I don't know if it was just me or not just because like again I don't really see films that are talking so openly about how humans are destroying the environment and they're exploiting the environment to create things to again destroy the environment because they want to further their capitalistic like tendencies and maintaining their economic and social status above like the samurai and above the rest of Japan. I mean, they I think they joke about how these muskets will about Miyaboshi to rule all of Japan. But, mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's I think it's thrown away as kind of a joke, but like there's so much validity into it, especially with what we've seen out of that character, out of the village, how they don't care about the nature they're exploiting to further human because they want to further improve improve on humankind i don't know what um, you guys thought about that kind of thing in terms of environment there's a part in the movie where ashitaka is like i think it's right before lady iboshi is about to shoot the deer god and he's like stop the deer god is not your enemy Um, and I think that speaks a lot to this sort of like misaligned war that nature and humans have going on in, in the movie. And then at the end, Lady Boshi, she gets her arm bitten off by the head of Moro. And she goes like, wow, would you look at that? Carried to safety by a wolf, I think, is what happens. And so... It, like, I think the end of the movie provides for, like, a little bit of clarity and optimism where both sides sort of have to to come to terms with maybe sort of how blind they've been to each other and how they've been tearing each other down. 
And it, and like Ashitaka also gets accused by both sides of being on the other side. Like a lot of people are like, whose side are you on? Or like, oh, you're with the wolves. Or, oh, you're with the humans. And he's like, no, just can everybody calm down for two seconds? But like that, that kid is, he's trying his best. But... I, feel, I find that accusation kind of interesting just because he is part of this kind of mythical fading village in the east that like where he rides an elk and no one really knows about it and he like even refuses to like mention where he's from so I find that kind of interesting as well especially with Joel what you were saying it's kind of like this fight this social fight and this new threat that's coming in Lady Eboshi and the, the musket guns, Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, Piper, how about you? I know it's your first time watching it, so. Yeah, I agree. I think it's like weirdly nihilistic. Like I'm not expecting anybody to like solve climate change. <laughs> like it, it did seem like end really quickly, but I, I really appreciated the themes. I, I was thinking about how like Mononoke like hates humans, um, <laughs> even though she is a human and then like, uh, it's just hard to point that out, I guess. Um, she doesn't want to be human anymore. You know, maybe think about like, yeah, identity war, imperialism, about like destruction, even even if who's to blame? I, I always come back to that question of like, like whose fault is it? Like the, the boars, or no, it's the wolves, like the very first scene when they're like hauling the rice up the um, up the cliff, like the wolves attack two humans or, or however many humans, but it's not as if those humans are like in charge and like they're not, like, like they're not Lady Abashi. And then even she isn't like the one who's, whose ultimate fault it is that they're destroying mm -hmm. the environment. Like, it's just hard to not be able to, like, place blame on people, if that makes any sense. No, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. I like yeah. the points that you brought up, because um, when Mononoke goes into the fort to fight Lady Iboshi, she's got two widows standing next to her, mm -hmm. and they're like, their husbands were killed by your wolves. They have, and they're like, we have scores to settle too. And it's like, there's that. And then I also really like the point you brought up about Mononoke because the explanation for her backstory is that she was like thrown aside by humans. And so the wolves took her in. And so she's sort of this product of that like imperialistic trauma, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I love the back and forth that Miyazaki does between the the humans and the wolves and the the wolves are killing people the humans are destroying the forest it's like a chicken and egg kind yeah. of thing although in my opinion he hates I think he is still very nihilistic about humans in general but yeah you do bring up a really good point about in terms of the back and forth and I think that culminated it the most in Lady Yaboshi someone we've talked about or mentioned her name a lot I find her in character super fascinating just because she is this person who's like making guns and wanting to destroy the nature and so like inherently like it's easy to set her up as the antagonist but then you see how what the iron works is and whom it is like the people involved and who makes up that city it's like former female slaves and people who just had nowhere to go and she takes them in and wants to take care of them and I find that for her I, her character to me doesn't seem so intent on destroying nature I don't think she understands the kind of damage she's causing because she's so blind into wanting to help the people around her that she's so ignorant about how much damage she is destroying 
And I think that's what makes her character so complicated because it's like, yeah, we do want to help other humans and we want to help. Like the whole thing for her is doesn't she want the dear God to help heal those people who are cursed like Ashitaka in the musket era? She was like, I heard the blood heals their curse or whatever. Something along those lines, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so it kind of seems like her intentions are are motivated by wanting to help others and wanting to better humanity in some sort of fashion. But in doing so, she's leaving this horrible trace of destroying the environment. And so it's this weird gray character of, am I supposed to root for you or not? And I found myself in that conflict 100%, like, like 90% of the film, I was like, what am I supposed to make of this character? Oh, yeah, no, totally. Because like, yeah, I mean, like, when she's first introduced, like, she, like, her, yeah, like, when, like, it's sort of, like, even, like, her exposition, it's kind of, like, well, she seems sort of, like, almost evil, like, in terms of, like, the narrative, or it's, I like, think she's introduced by just shooting the wolves, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the cliff, yelling at them to, like, hurry up. And then, yeah. the, and yeah. also is, like, People over. are like, what about those men? And she's like, yeah, fuck them. <laughs> yeah, she's like, we gotta keep moving, guys. <laughs> we gotta go. Yeah. With Lady Eboshi, like, it's nothing personal. She just has, like, shit to get done. And she's like, if that's the cost, it, so be it. It totally, I think it totally is, though, because I feel like I buy her, like, apology to the men afterwards when they're rescued, when she was like, I should not have let you die there. And I think that's, like, where her complication for me, I think she's, like, an incredibly rich character because of it. But I think we're, when we're introduced to her, we're like, wow, this, this woman's, like, horrible. (laughs) She's totally cold. She doesn't care about humanity. She, but at the same time, like they're trying to get rice to the city and these wolves do just attack them. And you don't know the background between them yet. So it's like this push and pull of like, she's shooting wolves and she also just let her men die there. But she's also trying to get rice to her village so that the people in her village can survive. Yeah, I know. Like my feelings towards her after having seen the movie like multiple times are still like completely ambivalent. Like she's, yeah, like you said, like she's helping people who are like in not great positions whatsoever. And like all of her like constituents, I guess if you could call it that, are like completely like sort of adore her and see her as like a completely like great, and graceful leader but then at the same time like she's like murdering the environment and so yeah like you're saying like she's there's totally like a lot of dynamics going on in terms of i think what miyazaki's trying to say with her character when ashitaka confronts iboshi with the bullet i think she asks him she's like are you going to kill who made this and he's like i will look at it with unclouded eyes mm-hmm. and then she was like i did it <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, but that just goes back to Ashitaka's like his un his attempts to be unbiased and I don't know. I guess I guess my whole thing with like with I think the environment it's not personal to Lady Eboshi. She's just like that just has to go for the sake of my people. She doesn't like her yes. motivation was not I hate the environment. Her motivation mm-hmm. was I have to protect the people that I've having my iron works and if i have to destroy this the dear god to do that then that's just how it is yeah i agree i just don't i i think i'm more of i do agree that she's just kind of like i will do what i need to do 
to protect the humans but i think there is kind of this like not understanding i don't ignorance is a very strong word and i don't really want yeah there's kind of this ignorance on like how she treats the environment and like i don't think she understands how damaging what she's doing to the environment is i think like is probably the most gracious like reading of like not yeah, only her character probably. but like her sort of representing like the industrializing state of humanity in all because like because mm-hmm. if she is being read as somebody who's trying to just like advance I like, guess yeah yeah and better Agreed. the conditions of like all people then there definitely is like some grace there oh, yeah of yeah her like destroying the environment because yeah I think that's what makes the film really interesting is that there is like a sort of like heavy ambivalence and like all on all sides because like it's interesting how also like Moro and Makoto and Mononoke aren't painted as like these like completely innocent characters either like they are like sort of heavily driven by vengeance but then that could also I mean it's heavily warranted as well. Hyper did you want to say something I feel like I just cut you off. No it's fine I just like can't help but think of it politically in terms of. Oh no absolutely like colonialism and stuff and particularly like Palestine just because that's been on my mind so much recently just about like the oppressed taking vengeance and trying to reclaim what was theirs like in any way possible even Mm -hmm. if it like indiscriminately uh, you know attacks the oppressor like those two guys on the on the side of the hill I guess thinking about it in that light makes me kind of mad that there even was like a mediator that that um Ashitaki Ashitaka my god I'm sorry Ashitaka yes yeah that he even like gave them both space to talk that he didn't automatically side with Mononoke and the animals. But at the same time, like, I feel like we've said Lady Eboshi is so complicated because there's nothing, there's no like real easy singular action you can point to and say like, this is wrong. It's like the whole system kind of that is wrong. I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe there are, but yeah, I don't know. Like it, it also makes me think of like, like colonization of the, the Americas for the example. And like, this is, this is kind of getting out of hand, but like if a white person immigrates from like Sweden, like they did not themselves kill native Americans in order to, you know, live on this land. They're just like coming for a better life, but like they are undeniably complicit in this system that is like stripping people of their land and of their lives and even even as they search for a good you know simple honest life for themselves and it's just I guess it's really interesting once again to try to point the blame at someone yeah because like if anything like it is like a universal blame on like all of those people like at the ironworks which is what makes it really difficult because all those people are, have like suffered and are sort of victims in their own way and they're even like victims of their own system because like if there's one thing that I think Lady Bushy could sort of be faulted for is that like Ashitaka like comes to her at the end it's like yo all your fucking people are dying and she's like eh well really we're we're down here dog so it's interesting how Miyazaki sort of like grants them that sort of grace here because of like almost like how like undeniable it is to like fault humanity for like completely like taking advantage of all resources and seeing like itself as a race as something that is like completely primary as opposed to what was here beforehand mm-hmm. yeah the monkeys the apes those were really interesting i don't know sorry that was kind of like random but i think it oh, uh, keep going. Yeah, yeah yeah as as like they don't even want to reconcile or anything or like try to bridge any gap they want to like kill all the humans they're even more vengeful than the boars mm-hmm. but it's all understandable of course I don't know. I, I just think it's it's a 
really like brave sort of thing to even like try and sort of see if there's a gap to be bridged in the first place which yeah which makes the ending that does feel sort of abrupt but that also is like the only way i think that you could even like grant that sort of like idea that there is a possibility of coexistence but i think also ending in that sort of way is miyazaki being like but i don't fucking know how (laughs) so yeah but i mean like the relationship between the different nature tribes was interesting because there was like the boars that were like we're dead anyway we might as well charge and kill them and it's like a matter of pride which is important i think culturally because they're going out on their own terms and then you have the animosity between the monkeys and the the monkey like the monkeys attacking the wolves like right after the boars died and they were like is this how you treat someone who fought for your forest and so that's it's like there's no i guess right way to deal with that kind of genocide? I don't know if that's a good word for it. <laughs> Ecocide. Eco, sure. Yeah. I mean, the boars were pretty genocided, I think, but yeah. there's no, like, oh, yeah. right way to deal with that kind of trauma. <laughs> like, I, like, you know, if a, if someone... It's, like, the same thing as, like, if an, an immigrant from, a, like, a non-European country comes and they decide they want to take an English name. You can't give them shit for wanting to take an English name, but you also can't give them shit for not taking an English name. Like, it's, it's up to them how they want to deal with that. Yeah. It's, like, you can't... Mononoke couldn't give the boars shit for doing something stupid because it was still their decision in the end. And she was like, oh, well, I'll be your eyes. And that was the way she could like show solidarity with them. I think like ultimately like my reading is that like humanity is like so arrogant to the point where like Uh they are willing to do anything to supersede. But I think like Miyazaki still like grants that like tree branches to be like hey like there is possibility where maybe this we can make this all work but at the end of the day like humanity is still like at the core of like mm-hmm. all these issues and like sure like advancement can help people and it will help people but it will also come at the, the expense of others and the environment and I think like also there's obviously a giant political reading that could be done with this film so everything comes with a sacrifice and especially in like terms of like humanity is like trying to dominate or does dominate the world to the point of like not only like destroying nature but then like destroying god to the point where like the only thing that is going to matter is humans there would just be like some divine pushback necessary in order for there to like for humanity to reach that understanding so which is Mm -hmm. why i think like even then like the, the ending can be seen as like sort of grim because like that's sort of an impossibility yeah i can see yeah i can see where that's coming from i just wonder like when you're already dealing with the medium of animation like just like what miyazaki does in creating such an abstract world if there could be a conclusion that doesn't come in a non-abstract way where we could see the ending as more optimistic rather than well in order for them to reach that goal, you know, a god had to die, essentially, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder just because, like, in the medium of animation, the whole idea is to invoke emotion with that. You are given the tools to do whatever the fuck you want, you know? 
Mm-hmm. And so go big or go home, right? Um, I just wonder. I, I definitely can see where you're coming from. I think I think that's what I find. This is like a weird comp, but whatever. But that's what I find so interesting about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where he does that revisionist history thing, and you're just like, oh, fuck, but this only can be done in the movies. I think what you're saying kind of has the same energy in terms of like, well, the only way for humans to change their mind is like in the movies where a dear God like grants them a second chance. But I think at the same time, there is a bit of empathy. I I, I feel like just because of the way I view the world, I would like to think it's just optimistic and having empathy for people. Um, when you're given a second chance, like hopefully humans know to do something better. Um, but I can totally see where you're coming from, Joel. yeah. I think if anything, like this film forces you to rethink your relationship with the world in general, which is always a good thing in my book. Sorry, Piper, I totally cut you off. What were you gonna say? <laughs> I'm gonna say that that's a good point. Sometimes I can like stray away from like the fun of films and like the imaginative aspect and the especially the fantasy here. And then just like, I wanna get to like the emotional core and like, what does the director think about the world? And like, does he have the answer to, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but like, I, I think it's a good point that like, it's still a fantasy. Why would you choose like destruction and annihilation if you could choose like a new beginning? Mm-hmm. What I find interesting though, at least I think what Miyazaki's, like what Miyazaki's thing at least always been for me is that he doesn't treat, cause he's working in an animated medium, target audience, children, right? So he, but I've always found Miyazaki interesting just because he's never really, I think he's quoted in saying like something on the lines of like, doesn't want to treat children stupidly in a way. So I wonder if Stephanie and I already kind of discussed kind of our child point of view of the film. Like all this environmental shit kind of went over my head. I think if I were to dig back real deep on how I saw it, I think I never really, I guess I never really saw like a hero or villain. And maybe that's like one of the main sticking points for Miyazaki. Like as a 12 year old kid, I can comprehend that there seems to be no hero or villain in this. Although in my opinion, now there's like a clear villain in the humans. It's just Lady Ibashi does complicate it a little more, a little more, but still, yeah, humans kind of suck. I wonder if it's like that small of a understanding as like a 12 year old kid is what Miyazaki go- is like trying to get at. Trying to like make it like universal for like a kid to understand it, but also like my mm-hmm. dog. Mm-hmm. I agree. I don't, I don't know if I have more to say. Um, I thought about like wolf walkers because I think the parallel is like pretty obvious with like, I don't know, the girl riding the wolf. And then I think in that movie, it's like really clear who the villain is. They're like the evil English, I don't know, like colonizers versus like nature. Yeah, I think it's interesting that that it's more ambivalent in this one. The movie also just low key made me like wish I was raised by wolves. (laughs) You know? But then you have to suck the blood of one to heal it. You know what? That's a worthy sacrifice. I want to talk to animals. Yeah, like also like Mononoke's character as like a human raised Mm -hmm. by wolves and like Mm -hmm. inhabiting like like the place of an animal. Like she completely fucking hates humans. And Mm -hmm. like from her perspective, even though like she is a human, like there's like she's able to like be that bridge, I guess, sort of. Mm. I feel like Ashitaka is more. Yeah, with her, well, like 
being like them being that bridge between like nature and humans I think that sort of grants an interesting aspect too just because like but yeah what are you gonna say oh I just I just realized like I find it interesting that like Mononoke is like so like has such hate for humans but like the things that kind of snap her out of that hate are like clear um, human emotions of love and empathy and being seen as like a human in a way like when Ashitaka says like you're beautiful that like pauses her like I don't think a wolf is gonna say that to her you says know? that when she has like a he has she has like a knife at his throat too yeah yeah and it like, like completely freezes her. It's kind of that like whole like I'm being recognized kind of thing and someone is taking notice in me. And I find that kind of like inherent human qualities. I, I don't know if it's another quality of like another being, but like she responds to kind of love and emotion and being recognized in a way that is totally relatable you know um so that conflict again with humanity and individuality and the world around us you know I feel like everyone wants to be seen and everyone wants to be seen as like a unique figure in our world or special in our way and that's like really that has motivated a lot of bad things in humanity um but I think at the same time there are that it's like a it's a desire that's relatable and at a, in a minute level and an intimate level as well. Yeah, which I think makes like Ashitaka the most like hopeful part of this film because like he's sort of like representative of like the good that we can be, I guess, of just being like sort of mindful and understanding. Isn't it bad for me to say that he's the most boring character in the well, whole Because I mean, he's sort of like because the he's vehicle. the mediator. He's like the vehicle. Yeah, he definitely. He's just like a plot device vehicle to like explore these interesting themes. But he himself doesn't exactly exhibit it. It's like he's too perfect in a way, and you're just like, mm-hmm. oh. I think it's like you said, like it's not intimate enough. Like there's really little characterization for him. I don't know. Even though he's, like, I think that's intentional, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, definitely agreed. Because I find Mononoke and Eboshi just. 10 times more fascinating, <laughs> you know. I just said, I love Lady Iboshi so much. That's all. As a character, she's absolutely fascinating. I totally agree with you there. And she's dressed very well. <laughs> tall lady, very tall lady. She got, she got the guns and she's like, you know, she's like women's rights in Imperial Japan. And I was like, but yeah. also she's like a colonialist. So it's kind of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, from like, you know, the human social standpoint, like, you know, yeah. she's pretty bad. I do, ass, I, you know? I have like, to environmentalism aside. <laughs> okay, moving on from the themes, because I think another thing that makes Ghibli films, and we're like on mid hour mark, which is long, um, but yeah. I think another thing that always is amazing about Ghibli films is like how beautiful they are. And I think the epicness of this really makes that shine. The Nightwalker is incredible that's like incredible mm-hmm. animation i re- i remember when it came up and i was like fuck that is so good or like I- the deer gods introduction like i remember when i saw that for the first time i was like that's fucking beautiful like, oh wow yeah all the little creatures the the bobbleheads how about you, Piper, since this is your first time seeing a Ghibli? I mean, they're all so beautiful, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think 
I've I've never loved like an- anime the style I guess mm-hmm. I, I know it's like weird to like characterize the art style of like a whole country as like the same thing but it just never really appealed to me but I thought some aspects of this were like really really wonderful mostly the forest to me mm-hmm. um that was just so good all the nature like there was one scene in the forest where there were a bunch of bugs and like flies and um, fireflies and glowworms and stuff. And then I swear to God, like I thought one of the bugs was actually on my television. <laughs> so vivid and huge. And it was really good. The animals were really good. Was the cool. boars. I mean, Miyazaki and pigs. They're like so, is a boar a type of pig? Or is yeah, it fine. Uh, they're related. Yeah. Related, yeah. I mean, they're so vividly gross, you know, and it's just so. Like Koto's eyes. His Gosh. eyes. Oh my god! I just wanted to like get a Q-tip yeah, and go. Yeah, it's like, I need dude, to get you. clean the. Shit. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. No, go ahead, Joel. Yeah, it's always so incredibly painterly, and like, I mean, there's that nostalgia aspect for me too. So like, like uh, once Ashitaka, like, there's the like establishing shot of like him going on his journey, and then it's like. Uh, him on writing a cool like on top of that ridge and then there's like the valley mm-hmm. behind him and all this like, and then the score comes in like, ah! the score I mean all Miyazaki film scores are yeah but this score wow wow uh, yeah I think Castle in the Sky I think is my like one of my writing music scores mm-hmm. I listen to it when I write but yeah score just incredible makes me cry like thinking about it listening to it but speaking of like the beauty I think the one scene I wanted to highlight which it's I think it's so interesting because this film is so large in size and its ending shot feels so intimate and it's like the in my opinion just like an amazing way to end the film of just like these small sprouts growing up from the ground almost to like signify a rebirth of nature and I think that's where I kind of get like it's like where my optimism is like really in full force. I'm like, oh my God, humans maybe can be better. I don't know. Uh-huh. And and it's this like, this film is like, as we say, that's so lush and it's so big and it's so grand. It's so, it's so detailed. But at that like one moment, I think it's just like dirt um, with some little sprouts coming up and it's it's small and it's intimate. And it it, I think it's like such a, beautiful ending I don't know what everyone else thinks about it but it just to end your film that way after being so large and action because as you said Pipe for like the last hour is literally just a bunch of people fighting um to end your movie in such a graceful and small and intimate way is not only ballsy but just beautiful in my opinion heavy agree yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh but yeah what else do we want to talk about? I feel like there's so much to talk about with this film because it's so big and it's so grand. And we spent literally like 40 minutes like debating what that environmental theme is <laughs> or, or trying to figure it out in a way. And I think that might be the point in it. It's like this ambiguity of not knowing who is right or wrong, even though humans do suck. And yeah, that's very true. But yeah. Um, do we have anything else we want to say about Princess Mononoke in general? I think we've hit the big points for me. Yeah, it's definitely it great. So, so watch it. <laughs> I'll contribute one more pretty scene that I really like. It's when I think it's it's when I think it's the deer gods and it's like giant form is like stepping, and then wherever he steps, the flowers like grow and then when he lifts his feet they like die 
I love I that. think that's that's also another interesting point that you bring up. It's like whenever he step, he's supposed to like signify this like rebirth, this healing sort of a way. But then every time yeah. he steps, the grass grows, but then it's like grow so much it dies. Yeah. Well, there's also that part. I totally wasn't intending this to be anything. Sorry. Other than this was pretty. <laughs> but no, there's the part where he he kill the deer god um oh, they're mm-hmm. on the special island and he kills moro and ne- naruto ne- akoto the, the mm-hmm. boar, boar. Akoto. yeah yeah, yeah. i almost said naruto and i was like that is wrong <laughs> anyways but he kills them instead of saving them and Iboshi's like <gasps> they wanted life but he gave them death and it was like I think that was also that was also a good point about how this dear God is like he's about balance and stuff. He's not he's not picking and choosing who to survive. He's not taking a side in the way that Lady Iboshi views and the samurai view it as because like their intent of killing the god is so they can ransack nature, you know. So they think that the dear god has taken the side of nature and not humanity. Um, but continue on with your pretty sorry that I put us into that weird tangent it's just I'm sure that probably took like 10 days to animate or something like all the everything growing and then dying and then growing and then dying and then growing and then dying like that was that to me is like wow chef's kiss animation right there I mean knowing Miyazaki and his kind of control freak tendencies (laughs) That's probably right. (laughs) Piper, do you have any last thoughts or we can wrap this up? I can't really remember where in the movie it was because I feel like... Big movie, long movie, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like um, he kept getting injured, um, but it was one one of the times uh, where Ashitaka was injured and um, Mononoke like had him on the back of the elk and then they waded into the river and like crossed the river but you could like see their feet on the riverbed like the water was totally transparent and that was just so cool. Mm-hmm. I agree I was almost like wait are they in water or they're just in a field of grass because the water is like so like it's tombokes like it's so clear and it's so not infested by humanity i think like all the animation is just in the center of the forest is just like so like magical and spiritual yeah i mean princess mononoke studio Jolie in general is just a magical amazing time I think as we have grown older, like the more nihilistic things are popping out and it's calling for a better and greater discussion in a way. And I'm glad we had it with this one in particular because I think it's very complicated in a way that like when I was 12, I wasn't comprehending, but now it's just so fascinating. So we mentioned Lady Eboshi is just, yeah, agreed. It's just, she's such a fascinating individual. She, her duality is so fascinating and interesting. And I've said that word many, many, many times already. Fascinating, interesting. I don't know any other words apparently, but she's so complex and rich and same with Princess Mononoke. And just, and it's, it's, it's a Ghibli film. So it's just so beautiful. And it's just unlike anything that is getting produced today. So yeah, if you have the chance to check out Princess Mononoke, highly recommend. Joel highly recommends. It's his favorite, right? I think so. I mean, we're going to watch Spirited Away in like I two mean, weeks. I so. mean, it's your favorite, so I should have had you do the plot description. I almost did, but I was like, ah, mess. let's see Cynthia ramble, you know? Uh, yeah, Cynthia <laughs> can't can't use concise language in both her talking and her writing. It's, it's, it's a good time. 
Um, but yeah, um, hope you guys enjoyed our long discussion about Princess Mononoke. Hope you got something out of it. Um, it's good, bad. Who's to say? Oh, what? Yeah. Our analysis or the film? No, humans. <laughs> oh, humans. Um, I'm leaning towards bad, but you know, it's complicated. It would be good. Who's could to be say? a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, thanks for listening. Um, if you want more podcast info, you can check us out on Facebook at UW Film Club and on Instagram and Twitter at Film Club UW. Um, if you want more podcast episodes in terms of re-listening to your favorite podcasts or listening to some old content, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Next week... We're going to continue our Miyazaki trip and we're going to go to Stephanie's favorite Miyazaki because we we literally didn't know how to pick which Miyazaki films we would make a trilogy out of. So it's all three of ours individual favorites. So I won't spoil mine, but I think we already kind of did. But it's okay. It's okay. I have a normie. I have a normie opinion on what's my favorite <laughs> Miyazaki. But yeah, next week we're going to do Howl's Moving Castle. It's Stephanie's favorite film or Miyazaki film. And hopefully we'll have more people to talk um, on. I know a lot of people wanted to join this Ghibli podcast and then only three of us showed up, which is totally cool as well. But hopefully we can get more people. In. No, do we? Yeah. Okay, cool. But other than that, thanks for listening. And Catch you guys next week. Bye.